Well, good morning, Access Church. How's everybody doing today? All right. My name is Stephen. I'm lead pastor here. You also know that we have two campuses and we're trying to uh, restart a church there. We've been doing that for about the last two years, I think, and we've been in the process of getting ready to build up in that location, and uh, many of you were a part of that. And so in just a couple weeks, we are uh, breaking ground, and we're going to start doing foundation work on a very modest kind of metal building, and, and uh, hopefully that'll continue to uh, make a difference there in the Middletown area. Uh, also, last night at 12.30, one of the men in that church, one of our brothers in Christ, Charles Beal, who has been struggling for many months now, uh, had gone into the hospital with pneumonia, and at 12.30, Jesus ushered him from this life to the next life. And so we are praying for Bonnie, for their family, and if you would join me in prayer uh, on that, and also celebration of his great homecoming. And so I thought it would be great today if we would just start with a word of prayer. Uh, God, we give you thanks today that you give us hope for heaven. And thank you for brothers like Charles and for Bonnie and for their life together. Thank you, God, that he has served you faithfully for many years. And God, thank you that now he is able to breathe freely. And now he's able to get off that walker. And so, God, we give you thanks that he has spent about the last, uh, coming up on about 11 hours now in heaven with you. And so we just give you thanks for that. And we also pray for strength for the family. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Fresh Fruit. And our, our kind of our other tagline a little bit is fresh fruit and sour times. And we feel like these are a little bit sour times. And and so we're like, well, what would the people of God do in the middle of these times? How should we react? What should be the Spirit of God that's then demonstrated in our life? And he just says, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Peter Gray once said, if at the end all that can be said of you is that you were kind, well, it's enough. Simply defined, kindness is humility or humble acts of love. It's just humility and offering that uh, humble act of love and humility. That's all. Uh, how many of you, and I think, the, by the way, the best way I'm going to demonstrate this today is through a staircase back here in the back, and I want to ask you a question. How many of you, as a young child, you played a game called King of the Mountain or King of the Hill? Raise your hand if you played that game. The, the essence of that game is you're going to fight, scramble, grab a leg, bite a toe. It doesn't matter. Whatever it takes to get to the top of the mountain. Is that true? And when you're at the top of the mountain, your goal is to push other people down, kick them down, get rid of them, whatever it takes. I'm now the king, and clearly you are not the king. So I'm going to push, shove, bite, or do whatever I can to get you down. And that's, the, in essence, the fun game we used to play as kids. Now, the challenge is when I see adults carry that game over into adulthood, and they begin to feel like, I'm the king of the world. Uh, in other words, I have now risen to the top of my company, and I can push other people down in the meantime. I am now the head of my home, therefore I can push other people down. I can control my situation through my words or through my actions. Uh, I, 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 I don't need to apologize. I need to be right. I need to have the last word, uh, even when I'm typing on Facebook. I, I want to be the last one to say something. I want to be the last one to have an opinion. 
I don't need to apologize for my actions. I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm right and you are wrong. And that is, in essence, what the game King of the Mountain is as an adult. I will win the argument. I will push others off as I get to the top. Now, interestingly, Jesus' disciples had kind of, kind of strange conversations about this very thing. And it was usually in very uh, inappropriate times. One of those times was in the upper room. And if you would allow me for a minute, I'm going to read it, but I want you to put yourself in this setting, okay? The scripture is not actually going to be on the screen. I'll read it to you, but here's the setting. This is now hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed and he's going to die. He's about to give up his life. This is his last moment with his disciples in the upper room. They are all joined together. And in that moment, Jesus has a meal with his disciples. He knows he's going to give up his life. There is tension, but there is also peace in the room because uh, he knows that this is what he's supposed to be doing. After the meal, he removes his outer garment. He kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. He does a menial task, but he's demonstrating kindness to them. And then he gives them that Lord's Supper. And this is that setting, okay? And, and he waves off the servant, and he kneels down. And then it says in verse 14 of chapter 22, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And when they reclined at the table, they weren't sitting in chairs. They were laying there at the table. Or they were uh, seated with maybe uh, uh, an Indian style, or maybe with their legs off to the side. They are on the ground, reclining at a very small, low table, Okay. And here they are together. And as he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because he wanted to have this moment with his disciples. He wanted to have this uh, time with his friends. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I have a very small understanding of this moment. Because in the days just before our father passed away, we took communion when he was at the hospital in Westchester. We came together on a Sunday afternoon, crowded our family around in a circle. We've been together, you know, every weekend always we're together for lunch. And so we all came together Sunday afternoon. And we decided we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with my dad. And, and I read this scripture. And that was that we will not celebrate this supper together again until we're all together in heaven. And, and it was a very powerful poignant moment before he took his last breath a few days later. So I have a small understanding of what it might have been in this moment as Jesus said, we're not going to celebrate this again until the coming of the kingdom of God. And he says that after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again at the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. In other words, he handed that cup over to Judas Iscariot, and now their hands touch. And the very same hand that grabbed that chalice from him is the very same hand that's going to grab 30 pieces of silver and is going to betray and point his finger at Jesus. Yes, that's the man. Arrest him. Take him. So that, that tension is happening here at the table. And then it says, so the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. And when he says go, he means he's going to die. But woe to that man who betrays me. 
Then they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then listen to verse 24. Also, a dispute arose among them to which of them was going to be considered the greatest. I mean, like Muhammad Ali. I mean, I'm the greatest. And just think about that moment, though. I mean, Jesus enters the room. He waves off the servant. He takes off his outer garment. He gets down on his, on his knees. He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's now gone from, uh, from heaven to earth. He is now here on this earth, and he is taking the most menial servant's job ever. He's washing the disciples' feet. He's about to say, guys, listen, I'm going to die. And the guys instead go, I'm the greatest. No, you're, I'm, I'm the greatest. The other guy's like, no, I'm the greatest. Now they're starting to have an argument over who's the greatest. And Jesus is just like, what is going on? Now, interestingly, this is not the only time that these guys had this same debate. Uh, and, and I find it interesting also that Jesus, by the way, when he responds to them, he responds with a little bit of um, redirection, a little bit of correction. Listen to what he says in verse 25. It says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, that's what you guys are being like. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be your, like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For the, who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? And I could just imagine that moment. He points around at those guys. Who's greatest, the ones at the table or the one who serves? And maybe he motions over to the person at the door that he had waved off earlier to say, I'm going to take care of this job, the job of a servant. And then he says, for who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? It's not the one at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves. For you are those who have stood by my side in trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so in this moment, Jesus says, the greatest among you is the one who serves, not the one at the table. But you stay with me, and you'll receive a table in the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Jesus said one time, that the first will be last, the last will be first. As I said, this is not the only time these guys did that. Uh, on another occasion in Mark chapter 9, they came to a town in Capernaum. They're walking along, and Jesus was in the house. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys talking about on the road? He already knew what they were talking about. He just wanted to bring it out of them. Parents, do you know what he did here? Now, you know the answer to the question, but you ask a, a very well-placed question anyway. And, and these guys have been doing what? They've been arguing. He said they kept quiet because on the way they've been arguing about who is the greatest. So they're back there behind Jesus. They don't think he can hear them. He's kind of Jesus. He can hear, all right? And, and he's listening, but they're behind him, and they're arguing. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. They're back at that. And then they get in the house and say, what were you guys talking about on the road? And they're just looking down at the ground, shuffling their feet like, mm -mm, I'm not saying anything. You don't tell him. And so sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the last and the servant of all. In other words, the guys, Jesus was on the ground serving and he went from heaven to earth and they said, no, it's not about that, Jesus. It's about who's going to be the greatest. 
behold, you know, who's going to be Superman? Because it's going to be one of us, and it certainly has to be one of us. We're going to be the greatest. Now, these words, by the way, on this second occasion, came also at a very interesting time. Because, by the way, we also learn in Mark chapter 9 that the setting of this was here Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Literally, he is transformed. His robe becomes white. And Moses and Elijah, who had long since gone, are now at his side, and they're having a conversation with Jesus. Super miraculous moment, all right? Transfigured Jesus, Moses and Elijah are there with him. They come off the mountain, and when they come off the mountain, Jesus then heals a boy who has a spirit. After that, right after the transfiguration, the healing of this boy, then what do the disciples do? Boom. Hey, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? It's so crazy to think about, but guys, isn't that us sometimes? Here Jesus is, the greatest of all time, in every way, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He keeps walking down the steps, and the disciples keep wanting to walk up the steps. They keep wanting to elevate themselves. Do we ever do that? So I just want to ask you, how are you doing on the kindness quotient in your life? Humbly loving others through your actions and your words. Kindness is putting on the servant towel, breaking the world's mold, and descending the steps. And friends, being a follower of Jesus means that we do what he does. And he modeled for us that those who are to be great in the kingdom of God become less so that he can become more. John the Baptist one time said exactly that. He said, I need to be less so that Jesus can be more. Now, that concept is all through the Bible, this idea of putting ourselves second, looking out for the interests of others. But what I want to do today is look at three arenas in our life where I think that this should, should play out. And the first one is that kindness begins with the right mindset. Descending toward kindness begins in your mind. You and I have to think differently because we grow up in this world where what? Where people just say, hey, keep rising, keep ascending, keep growing, keep becoming number one. And when you get to be at the top, you can push other people down. It's a dog-eat-dog, kind of push-each-other-down kind of world. And if you do that, you're going to be successful. You're number one. And so we have to change our mindset. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same what? Mindset as Christ. Kindness begins with having the same mindset as Christ. And what did he do? He left heaven and descended. He came in humility. It tells us more about him in verse 6. Who, being in very nature God. In other words, this is Jesus, God in the flesh. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Talk about the ultimate demonstration of kindness. Here Jesus is in heaven. God, ruler of all, and decides to descend to earth and to become a servant and to say, I will live among you and I will love you and I'm not looking out for my interests, I'm looking out for your interests. And the Bible says we should have that same mindset. Husbands, this applies to you. 
This applies to you. We, we, we all like to maybe say, well, we're the head of the house, but the Bible says love your wife as the head of the house. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Sacrificially. Wives, this applies to you. Children, this applies to you. Students, this applies to you. Bosses, this applies to you. No matter where you find yourself on these rungs in life, you, you take on that role of how do I serve people? How, how do I act in kindness to them? And wouldn't it be better if we all just practice Philippians 2? Sometimes people say the Bible is so hard. I say, really, is it hard? They say, yeah, I don't understand it. I'm like, how can you not understand? Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited, but value others among yourself. It's not really that hard to understand. It's a little bit hard to do, right? But it's not that difficult to understand this. And wouldn't it be better if we all just practice that? The second step then is that you go from your mind and then it comes out in your words. And I know that usually when you fix your mind, your mouth follows. What's inside just comes out. And it just seems that our mouth gets us into real trouble, doesn't it? I, I could give a hundred illustrations of this. But a few years ago, I was at Kings Island and the water park. And I walked beside a family at the water park. The wife comes up. She's carrying everything. She's got everything. It's all under her arms. You know, the dad's just got the kid in a towel. You know, like he's got the kid in a towel just walking. And the wife's carrying everything. And then she says, I'll listen. I'll meet you at the storage boxes. Now it was clear that there was some tension going on. I wasn't around for the rest of us, so I don't know exactly what happened. She said, I've got to go get our cooler. I'll meet you at the storage boxes. Dad wasn't happy. I don't know why. I didn't hear it all. But I didn't stay long enough to hear. But what I did hear was when the mom walked off, the father told his small son, your mom is being a stupid butt. And he didn't say butt. Now, in that moment, what was that dad doing? I mean, he, he put himself way at the top. This is me. That's her. She's carrying that stuff. Well, she's just being a stupid butt. And I couldn't help but to think, that that little son who's walking with the dad, that's going to be him one day. He's learning how to treat his wife. He's learning how to treat his girlfriend. He's learning that I'm right. She's wrong. Isn't that terrible? Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. For what? Building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I know it seems simple. But we have all elevated ourselves from time to time with our words. We rise to the top and we talk down to people. You stay down there. You're not worth anything. I'm the king. And how often do we do that? I, every, every single person in this room has both a kindness quotient and a jerk factor. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody in here has a jerk factor. Uh, and some of you have a really high jerk factor, and some of you have a really low jerk factor, okay? And, and when your jerk factor comes out, it can be pretty nasty. And it might happen on the road. It might happen at a restaurant. My jerk factor sometimes would come out in restaurants over the years, and I came by that naturally. My, my dad, when we're on vacation, would go like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. He'd reorganize the line, you know, like, hey, that's a hamburger, I'll just take that, I don't even care. Just throw it in there, you know, is that kind of a deal. And, and, uh, and so I'd be like, come on, let's go, what, it's my time. And help me out a little bit, one of my kids is a 
waiter now, and he's like, Dad, Dad, it's okay. Hey, it'd be all right. I'm not allowed to get upset anymore. I'm just going to sit there and be like, oh, it's okay. It's not their fault. You know, it's all good. The other day, we were at a restaurant, and uh, Benjamin, he tips pretty good, you know, and because uh, he likes to tip everybody and, and give them good encouragement. The other day, we were at B-dubs, and they got my bill wrong. He's like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. He's like, give me your card. I'm like, mm, okay. All right, here we go. He takes my card. I'm like, how did you give him a good tip? You know, so he tips on my card, you know, as well as the meal. And, and uh, that's all good, though. But, but you know, you, you learn. You're like, okay. And I'm not saying we don't stand up for ourselves. And I'm not saying we don't have an opinion. And I'm not saying that we, I'm just saying that our words matter. And how we represent Christ matters. And while it may make us feel better, it probably won't rush anybody any faster if you're just nasty. And it probably won't make them drive better if you're nasty and your jerk factor comes out. And by the way, there's kids learning from us. So I'm just saying this. Let's raise the, the kindness quotient in our life. The root cause of all of this is one word. That word is pride. It's about me, my world, my stuff. I want it done my way. The last step, it moves from your mind out your mouth and then it moves to your actions. Kindness is proven in acts of love. So let me just ask you a question. What are you doing to express your kindness to people? How are you loving people in action? Jesus demonstrated it for us, and I've already told you the setting, but John provides the words for that setting in John 13. Listen to what he writes. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, listen to this, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning from God. So check that verse out. Jesus knew that God had put everything under his power. He had all authority, everything. This is Jesus, God in the flesh. He already knew that God put everything under his power. He had everything under his power, all right? That's what it says, that he had everything under his power. And so what's the next word? What should it say? He had everything under his power, so he dominated everybody. He had everything under his power, so he ruled the world. He had everything under his power, so what? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a town around his waist, poured water in a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And the Bible says that he had all authority and all power, and yet he put that power into loving the disciples and into kindness. There it is. You can have all the power you want, but the most powerful thing that you can do is love somebody else humbly. Don't let that moment pass you by, friends, about what Jesus did there. William Penn one, said, one time said, I expect to pass through this life once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing that I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now and not defer or neglect it as I shall not pass this way again. You only have one opportunity to walk by some people in your life. So what will you do in that moment? Will you demonstrate kindness? Will you take a moment out of your schedule? If you want to know something about the heart of Jesus, read Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is really good at describing several moments in Jesus' life where he encounters people. The crowds are pushing against him. I don't have it on the screen, but 
Luke 8, the crowds are pushing against him. A crowd welcomes him there in verse 40. They were all expecting him. Jesus, Jesus. And then a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came, fell at Jesus' feet, pled with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. I, I like that phrase, as Jesus was on the way, on his way. Because that's when kindness is really at, at a pivotal moment. I'm on my way. Some of you are like, I know, I'm on my way, so that means A to B, baby. A to B, that's it. I'm going to B, don't mess with it. I don't want to do any diversion. A to B. But as he was going, this individual came, Jairus came and said, my daughter's hurt, can you help? So he's now still walking through the crowd. The crowd is pressing on him. He's walking to try to get to the girl, try to save her. And in the meantime, verse 43 says something else happened. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. In other words, she had, just imagine the embarrassment of this, the cramping, the pain, the, the, the kind of the social problems that she had for these 12 years. Nobody could fix her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, obviously people are touching you. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed because she was trying to go unnoticed. I mean, look, 12 years of this. Let me just barely touch his robe. Maybe that will heal me. And he can go on his way. I don't want to bother him. But she came trembling and fell at his feet. And why not? Social embarrassment, pain. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. So she tells her story. Jesus, for 12 years, I've had pain, cramping, and bleeding, and it won't stop. And I touched you for that reason. I thought maybe you could heal me. Then he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. I love that because here she is, isolated and in pain. And the king of the universe comes off of his throne and notices her and says, look, you're valuable to me. I love you. I appreciate you. And I have noticed you. And I'm telling you right now, there are people in your life that need you just to say, I notice you. I care about you. Can I do something to help you? Can I support you in some way? Can I just listen to what you have to say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. So guys, the message today is pretty obvious. Where are you in terms of the steps? Are you at the top and you feel like, hey, I've got it all together. Everybody else is under my authority. Therefore, I will treat them as such. Or as a person who leads or as a person who has authority, have you now realized from Christ that the best way, the best way to influence people, the best way to love people, the best way to encourage people is just to take on that humble nature of a servant and to say, I'm here because I want to care for you. That's the calling of those who are followers of Jesus, that the fruit of the Spirit would be love. Love in the midst of a world that often hates. Joy. Joy in a world where there seems to be a lot of, a lot of frustration, and, and we demonstrate the joy of Christ. Peace. In a world that seems to be in utter conflict, we somehow demonstrate inner peace 
that we know that there's a peace that passes understanding and that one day we're going to be in heaven just like Charles and, and we're going to have utter and total peace in that moment. Love and joy and peace and patience because we need it because it seems like as things press against us, we become more and more impatient and then kindness that we would take on the role of a servant. No, it doesn't mean we give up our thoughts or our opinions or our beliefs. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus stood for the innocent. Jesus stood for the victims. But Jesus also knelt and served his fellow man and fellow woman. And that's the example that we follow. Christ, we are so thankful today that you have led us to a point in our life where we just say, God, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. We want to take on the mindset of Jesus who, even though you were in nature God, that's who you are, even though you had all power and authority, you humbled yourself, took on that nature of a servant, washed the disciples' feet, healed those in need, and ultimately gave up your life so that we would have the ability to know you and to be promised heaven when we die. God, we're so thankful for that today. I pray that this image would stick in our mind, God, and that we would remember and that any time that we feel like we are starting to elevate ourselves or push other people down, God, that we would just be humble in our repentance and realize that the king of the universe, you humbled yourself, and how can we not do the same? So, God, we love you. We thank you. In these moments, we worship you, and we celebrate with you. In Jesus' name.